And my heart is broken. That's okay. No worries at all. You know, friends, just before I get into our message this morning, I want to call us to be praying in three specific areas here today and uh, in, over the course of this next week. And actually, I'm going to extend a fourth at the end of the service, but for right now, I want you to be praying about three things. Um, as many of you know, uh, our students, many of our students from uh, middle and high school were off at youth conference this weekend, E-Free Church, and actually just showed up in the, last, in the middle of the last worship set there. And they have had a phenomenal weekend. About 30 seconds before I started to preach in the first service, I got a video of my daughter, our oldest daughter, Claire, who's quite shy and, and introverted. And there was my girl uh, on stage in front of however many hundreds of people eating a whipped cream pie without hands. And I quickly ran back to show Ralna. We were laughing. And we know that our kids had a great weekend together and that lots of crazy things happened. But maybe the best part of what takes place on a weekend like youth conference is the work that God does in the lives of our students to call them to bigger and to higher places. And it was in that setting about 25 years ago that God called me in Regina to become a pastor. And since then, as I've been a part of youth conferences and have heard about the work of God in these special times, God does very special things in calling our kids to higher places. And so this week, I want to call on us to be praying for our students and the students of this city in southern Alberta as God has touched their lives in very special ways. And if you would join me in praying for them, asking God to continue um, to allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn in their hearts and, and to continue to remind them of the things that he's called them to, I think that would be very appropriate. The other thing is we want to invite our church family to be praying for two needs within our church that uh, have come up over the last week or two. The first is that, um, as Pastor Brian did, we want to be praying for Dot McLeod, who's in the hospital um, today, she was taken to the hospital um, Thursday or Friday this week, and uh, as she's there, they're trying to figure out some things that are going on with her heart. Um, we just want to be praying for her. She's not receiving visitors right now, but we do want to pray, and as I saw her last night, she just gave the, um, or she said to me, I would love for my church family to be able to, to cover me in prayer at this time. So praying that the doctors have wisdom to know what's going on, and that her body settles down so they can do tests and they can discern uh, how to help her in the best ways with her heart. And then finally, I want to ask our church family to be praying for the Lister family. Last weekend, Tom Lister lost his dad after a long battle, uh, after a long health battle. And uh, they're up in Edmonton this weekend doing some family memorial kinds of things. But um, would you just join me in praying for them this week, that the peace of Christ would come upon them, that Jesus would be so present and that his healing balm would just come upon them and touch them in a very special way. And so if we could be praying for these things as a church family, and like I said, there's a fourth coming at the end of the message um, this would be a great opportunity this week just to love our people uh, in Jesus' name and to be uh, practically his hands and his feet as we call out to him and as, as the Holy Spirit leans things upon our hearts to respond. And so join with me as we pray. It's humbling to, humbling to think, and maybe it's a midlife crisis because I'm turning 40 in a couple of weeks, uh, but 35 years ago, God started to do something in our family that's left an impression upon my heart to this day. 35 years ago, we uh, would go as a family to the interior of British Columbia to go on a vacation. And every year, we looked forward to our time in south, uh, sort of southeastern BC, south central BC, that we would, we would spend together. We would sort of have a family reunion. My mother's uh, family would come up from the coast, and we would come from Calgary, where we lived, and my parents lived to this day. And uh, we would just have a wonderful week uh, enjoying the beauty of that part of the world. We'd take time on the beach. We'd 
uh, go and play mini golf. We would crash go-karts. We would do all the fun things that families do. And in the middle of that week, um, my uncle and I, who's from the coast, uh, would always watch for an opportunity to kind of slip away and to go fishing together. We loved to find a moment or an afternoon where we could go to a lake uh, such as Yellow Lake or Vassaw Lake or Skaha Lake or Allendale or whatever lake we could find and just stand on the shores or sometimes we would go in his canoe and I would watch him for hours cast his fly fishing rod back and forth. And it was just an amazing time. I would sit in awe on the, on the shores or in the boat uh, just in this technique, this practice of fly fishing, hoping and believing and wishing that someday I would have my own opportunity to become a fly fisherman. Well, fast forward nine or ten years later, and uh, my family, my mom, my sister, and I, uh, were in Vancouver over Easter. Uh, my dad was an accountant, and so he was back home dealing with tax season, and we would go to the coast, and we were in Vancouver having Easter dinner, and just before the meal started, my uncle says, there's something I want to give to Aaron. And he slipped into the back of his house, and as he went to the back of his house, he came out with this. This was my grandfather's fly fishing rod. I found out last night, actually, that it was made in the late 1930s or early 1940s. And he presented it to me and gave it to me as my own. It was my grandfather's favorite rod, and it was the rod that he learned to fly fish on. And my uncle had learned to fly fish on this rod. And as he gave it to me, he said, someday I'm going to take you. In fact, I'm going to take you this summer and teach you how to become a fly fisherman yourself. It was like one of those moments in your life when your jaw drops and you're you're doubting that you're even in this moment. Like maybe this is a dream and you're going to wake up at some time. But here it was, I, I was holding it in my hand. And he said to me, later this summer, I'm going to take you northeast or northwest rather of Kamloops and show you how to become a fly fisherman. Well, counting the days and the hours wouldn't be accurate. I counted the minutes from April until the middle of August when we would go. And finally the day came when I jumped on a plane in Calgary and flew to Castle Gar and then to Kamloops. I left behind my family, and it was just me, my uncle, and my aunt, and my two little cousins. And we got to a place called Chataway Lakes. It's still there to this day. It's just northwest of Merritt, B.C. And we drove, and we pulled in for an unbelievable week. I found out right away that my uncle had blessed me. He'd rented a second rowboat, and I would have my own boat this week to learn how to fish. And we spent time together. He taught me techniques of, te techniques of casting, he showed me how I could cast at 10 and 2, 10 and 2, and get my fly out across the water. He taught me about fly selection. He showed me how to read the water, how when the fish rose out of the water, I could lay down my hook. And if you did it in just the right way, at just the right time, that, fish would, that trout would come out of the water. And it would latch onto that hook. And then you could set the hook and have a battle with a rainbow trout that would just be unbelievable. It was an amazing week, and I don't mean to brag, but since that week, many have called the, uh, the number of fish we've caught, they've called it Fishpocalypse 1997. Some have said there haven't been that many fish caught since Jesus told the disciples to put the net on the other side of the boat. It was unbelievable. Okay, that week I learned to lie like a fisherman as well. But what happened that week left such an impression on me. In an intentional way, at an intentional time, in an intentional place, God did an intentional thing in my life. He gave me a love for fly fishing. And as I was preparing for this morning, it dawned on me that this is so often the way that God works. 
that when we create space in life with an intentional purpose and work in an intentional way with intentional people, God often shows up and does some of his best work in transforming our lives and maturing us and growing us in ways that never would happen if we hadn't intentionally made space. And as I reflected upon fly fishing and then the, the, the word that God is giving to us here today, I realized that in the work of discipleship, when we set apart time to journey toward Jesus with another person in life, that God blesses those spaces and grows us in beautiful ways that might not happen unless we create that space. This morning we're in this series called No, and the idea of this series really boils down to the subtitle that says this, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do, but if you don't know who you are, you won't know what to do. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been reflecting on our identities as believers and how Jesus didn't just come to save us as Christians, but indeed, he came to this earth so that we would become followers of him. And with this, Pastor Scott's been fleshing out um, these identity pieces to help us know how we can step forward. And so two weeks ago, we talked about what it means to be God's masterpiece, God's prize, his best creation. And how God has shaped us and formed us and created us to do good works here on this earth. Last week we talked about what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. Literally God's representative here on earth. And how God has intentionally and strategically placed us in spaces and places where he wants to use us to draw others to become followers of him. And this morning we're talking about discipleship. The call to go into this world and make disciples. Teaching people to obey Jesus and then to live for Jesus in very dynamic and real and blessed ways. As we've been going through this series, uh, we've been talking about um, different uh, verses from Scripture that Pastor Scott has encouraged us to memorize. And together as a church family, over the course of this series, I think it's ten verses that we're going to memorize together. Wonderful opportunities and verses that God is going to lay upon our hearts so that in future days we can look back and we can lean and we can glean from the truths of Scripture and be touched in fresh ways. And so each week so far, we've been reading these verses together. And coming up on the screen behind me is just one of the themes, or is, it is the theme verse for this series. And uh, each week, we're going to read this together, and we want to do so together again this morning. And so we're going to read, we'll read the reference verse together as a church, and then we'll read together the verse. So will you join with me as we read this together? 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This week you're going to receive another verse as you leave the service here today. The ushers will hand you a card, but we want to read it together uh, here today. And so we're going to read from Matthew 28, 19. Let's read this together as our theme verse for here this morning. Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them this morning to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. And these verses are going to form the foundation of our conversation here today as we talk about the call of Scripture for us to be disciple makers. We're not just people who exist for a moment or, or for uh, you know, a specific uh, little job that we have. We're all called to be disciple makers over the course of our walks with Jesus. 
That is, we are called to, to live in relationship with other people, helping others to grow and mature in Jesus. And it's not something that we can just, um, you know, do for a short time or, or something that we leave to, to others. No, every single person who calls themselves a Christian or a follower of Jesus is called to journey in relationship with others. The call to discipleship is a strong message, and it's a strong theme of the New Testament, and it's one that we sometimes as Christians ignore. Sometimes in the Western church, especially over the last 30, 40, 50 years, uh, we have left this job or this task to other people. But when we read the New Testament, and, and Joanne did a wonderful job at reading earlier a call to discipleship, and here's yet another one placed in front of us, we can't escape the reality that we are called to live in community and in, in a growing relationship with Jesus in partnership with other people. And while there are many definitions that we've fleshed out over the last five years that I've been here anyways on discipleship, I want to pre present, hopefully, somewhat of a fresh thought on what discipleship is all about. And I think it's captured in the word apprenticeship. There's many people in this room who at different times in their lives have gone through an apprenticeship journey. Maybe you're an electrician or a plumber. Maybe um, it hasn't even come in the area of trades, but uh, maybe you're in a, a, you have a professional designation. And at some point in your training, you journeyed alongside another person who helped you understand who you really were going to be as that professional. Maybe you're a police officer or a firefighter. As I said, maybe you're a plumber or an electrician. Maybe you do HVAC work or you do construction. At some point in your life, you learned the ropes in relationship with someone else. You took time to understand what it meant to, to stand up. You, you understood the job description of what you were to set your hands to. You took time to understand what makes you you as you're given that title. And I believe that this is what Jesus is calling us to. If we are called to be Christians, then we need to understand our identities. If we're called to be followers of Jesus, we're called to understand that we can heal from our broken places. If we're called to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we understand that God has given to us specific tasks and responsibilities. He's given to us gifts that we can use in this world in supernatural ways to touch this world and leave impressions for Jesus. We are called to invite others to follow Jesus as he has invited us to follow him. And this is where I think this passage is going here. Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 9 to 13, we read these words. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. When Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends, as people who are apprentices of Jesus, there's a calling on our life to invite other people into this dynamic journey towards Jesus with us. And the example that Jesus gives to us here in the book of Matthew is this exactly the practice that he had. When Jesus sees Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, he goes over and he extends an invitation to him. And yes, it was a physical invitation to come and to follow him, but it's also a holistic invitation to set aside everything from life and to go all in with Jesus. 
to learn the robes, to learn what it means to be a follower and a disciple, to learn and to, and to, um, and to try in a fresh way. We see this call all through Scripture. And to be honest, lots of times in our church experiences, as we understand this call, we come up with excuses or reasons for why we're not going to be a part of this journey. Either we're too tired or, we're too, or it's too hard. We're not mature enough or we're too new. We're too old or we're too worn out or we're too broken or we're too sick or we're too upset to consider trying um, to, to lead a, an apprenticeship relationship with someone else again. There's all sorts of excuses that the devil plants in our mind, but the reality is, is that none of us can escape the call to discipleship and to apprenticeship. The truth is, is that even though we are tired and worn out and broken and hurting people, that oftentimes in life, it's that, that very experience or that very place that we find ourselves in that God wants us to be so that we have the opportunity to connect with another life in a dynamic and a, in a very real way. There's an authenticity in our brokenness that God uses to connect with others and to look at them and say, you know what, I know that you're hurting and I'm hurting too. Can we together go on a dynamic journey? Can we figure out that Jesus has more? Can we together uh, lean into what it would be uh, to, to find healing together in Jesus' name? Can we learn how to use our gifts together in Jesus' name? Can we try again together in Jesus' name? And move forward. And so while the devil plants excuses in our minds, Jesus looks at it and he says, I've got you exactly where I want you. And I want to use you in a fresh and dynamic way. And sometimes it's not an easy journey. When we first start out, it can be a real challenge. It's kind of like a colt or a foal. Like a, I'm a city boy, so sometimes I get those terms mixed up. But a brand new baby horse trying to find its legs. And we start on the journey and we're trying to to discover things like who we are in Christ and we're not sure how to start or we try to figure out how to hear the voice of Jesus and live in response and obedience to it. We're not sure how to start. But the more and more that we journey together, the more time that we spend together, the more that that baby horse tries to take steps forward, the more confidence we gain to become apprentices and, disciple, and, and disciples and disciple makers. The more that we journey together with others, the more that we find that we have strength in our steps and strength uh, in the journey, uh, strength for the journey ahead. And we start to find that the excuses that we carry start to melt away. And the joy and the blessing of journeying with another person to mature and to grow and to be discipled in Jesus' name. The more that we find strength and joy in that. Jesus gives to Matthew an intentional invitation here. It was an intentional call to an intentional time to an intentional space for an intentional task with an intentional person. And discipleship is exactly that. And so as we're sitting here today, we might think, okay, I'm, I, I'm willing to take next steps in this. I'm willing to try. I know that this is in our job description of who I'm supposed to be. And the encouragement I have for you is to, is to consider who it is that God has put in front of you. Who it is that God is laying upon your heart. And then to approach that person and, and in a fresh way in, extend to them an invitation to go on a journey with you. Call it what you want. Call it a small group. Call it a Bible study. Call it a triad. Call it a discipleship journey. Call it an apprenticeship. Or, or just approach that person and say, can we just check out Jesus together? But inviting people into a journey and stepping up and stepping forward to Jesus 
It's not just something that a few of us do. It's something that all of us are invited into, and none of us can escape. Well, Jesus keeps going here, and as he's extended this call to Matthew, um, and Matthew gets up and follows him, they find themselves in a fascinating place. And so if you have your Bibles, you can look at here and follow along in verse 10. And, and this is just a really fascinating picture that I think the scripture paints here because um, it, it's something that, that, that just really speaks to the work of discipleship. When we start to journey towards Jesus, there's an attraction that others can see that invites them into, that, into those spaces as well. And so it says in verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It seems to me as I read this passage and as I studied it this last week, that when Jesus created intentional space, something powerful took place there that day. The scriptures say that as he's sitting in Matthew's home, people started to come together. And I don't know the full context of that, of that, um, of that environment. But for some reason, there was a transparency to what took place there. So maybe there was a window on the house. Maybe there was a door that was open. Maybe they were having a barbecue and they were outside and there was a goat on a spit. I don't know. But for some reason, people were attracted to come in. And it's important to note the kind of people that came. These were people that recognized that they needed Jesus. These were people that didn't think they had arrived. Scripture says these were tax collectors and sinners. The inference there on sinners is that, is that probably they were prostitutes or thieves or criminals of some measure. They had done something to violate someone else or something to violate themselves. And in their brokenness, they realized that they needed someone else to help lift them up. And that person is Jesus. So often in life, as we uh, have people laid upon our hearts, the devil does work to discredit or excuse the people that, that we're oftentimes invited to journey with. As, as these people are laid upon our heart, we, you know, we start to think. We either make excuses for ourselves, excuses for them. Well, they're too young. They're too cool. They're too new. They're too old. I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. And yet Jesus invites us to journey with all measures of people. And we see that here. The religious leaders look at it and they start to criticize why Jesus would waste his time with these kind of people. And yet these were the kind of people who just wanted to come and sit together at Jesus' feet and spend time to be a part of a process to find healing and transformation and blessing in life that they didn't know in that moment. Friends, oftentimes the best journeys that we travel on are with people who for whatever reason feel unworthy or unqualified or broken and who are willing to accept our, us in our own brokenness and then journey together to find healing and wholeness and identity in Jesus. Jesus never invites us to journey alone. He always invites us to journey in community and to intentionally create space to allow him to work. And this is what we see here. Jesus was a busy guy. He's just finished the Sermon on the Mount. He's just finished um, talking about the cost of following him. He's performed two miracles, three miracles actually, just before he calls Matthew. He's got a lot on his plate, and yet he finds time to intentionally journey together with others, to intentionally look at people and say, there's value in you. God has more for you. I can touch your life. Jesus does this always when we intentionally create time for him. 
It was the spring of 1997, and I was uh, fresh out of Bible school, my first year of Bible school, and I was standing back home in Calgary at my home church. And as I was standing in my church uh, in the foyer, I was waiting for somebody. I don't remember exactly who. might have been my parents, because we typically went out for lunch each week after church. It might have been a friend. I don't remember, but what I do remember is I was standing in the foyer at the church, and I saw my pastor across the room. As, uh, as we saw each other across the room, we made eye contact, and he started to come over, and I'm thinking, oh boy, what have I done this week to get in trouble? And Pastor Brent came over, and as he started to talk to me, uh, we just started to have a, a casual conversation. We talked, about, um, we talked about what I was doing that summer, how school had gone. It was just the, the very front edge of the summer break for us in college. And then he said to me, he asked me something along the lines of this. He said, Aaron... You know, a few of us are going to start to get together uh, every other week for a couple of hours on an evening. And I'm just wondering if you'd be interested in joining us. We're going to have a conversation about what it means to be a biblical man. We're going to have a conversation about how we can serve and be better Christians. We're going to have a conversation about how to become better followers of Jesus. And I'm just wondering, would that be something that you would be interested in being a part of? I remember being blown away, and, but, it, you know, instead of giving the immediate answer, I gave the Christian answer, and I said, well, that's something I'd like to pray about, and I'll get back to you later. And so I went home, and the invitation wouldn't leave me. I couldn't figure out why Brent would invite a young punk like me to be a part of something that he would give so much time towards. And I called him back a couple of days later, and I said, I'd love to come and join you guys. And in the next week, Four of us, including Pastor Brent, got together and started to have an amazing experience. We would meet in a restaurant and we'd just walk through the scriptures. We'd talk about our experiences and our examples. We'd talk about how we could become uh, better men and better leaders and better servants of Jesus. And what God did throughout that summer in a restaurant later under a tree in a park that became a, just a beautiful sacred space for us, what God did that summer is that he built a foundation that I still build my ministry and my life upon today. God did something dynamic with a group of four uh, men, our pastor and three young leaders, or three young people anyway, that weren't leaders yet. And it's amazing the fruit that came out of that, out of that summer together. At different points in our careers, all three of those young men have gone into full-time vocational ministry. Two of us are still in full-time vocational ministry today. One went to Quebec to be a missionary in the least-reached area uh, in, in the Western world. He went and gave his life, and he poured himself into telling people about Jesus. It's unbelievable to me, because at that time, our church was, was exploding. God was doing amazing things, and, and it, I mean... It was a force at that time in the city of Calgary. Still is a great church. And Brent was a super busy guy, but for whatever reason, he knew the value of creating space in an intentional way at an intentional time for an intentional reason with intentional relationships. His calendar was unbelievable. He gave up personal time and professional time. He gave up family time to invest a couple of hours every couple of weeks to build into a couple of men. Friends, Jesus often does his best work when there's margin and space to journey together with other people. And we see this in his example in his, in his life as well. When Jesus is walking through the town in Mark chapter 5 and the woman um, who reached out and touched his robe, he did something powerful in her life that day. When she pursued Jesus and, and went after him and knew that she needed to step up, the world around her looked at her and, and thought, she's not even worth it. 
She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's stinky. She's dirty. She's this. She's that. She's, she's not worth it. And as Jesus is walking through, he stops and he says, somebody's touched my robe. And, and his disciples are like, who cares? There's like thousands or hundreds of people here. Who cares? We've got a calendar to keep, a schedule to maintain. We've got things to do. Who cares if somebody touched your robe? And Jesus says, no, I've got to create space and it's worth it. And he turns around to find that woman. He created margin in the midst of his busyness. And he gets down and he looks at her. And not only did Jesus heal her physical body that day and dry up her bleeding, but Jesus healed her identity that day as well. And this is such an important, valuable part of the discipleship journey, friends. Because the work that Jesus does in us, the work that Jesus has done in me, and the work that Jesus has and will do in you, often comes when we create space to allow that process to take place. When we're in relationship with others, and that person can speak truth into our life, they can remind us that we are sinners saved by grace. They can remind us of the work of the gospel. They can remind us of the gifts that Jesus has given to us and that we can use to go and make a difference in this world. They can speak words like the words we heard from our worship team from Psalm 103 this morning that remind us that our, our Heavenly Father is a gracious, gentle dad. That yes, we sin and there's consequence, but we never receive what we deserve or what we should get. Jesus gives us something better. And this is the work of discipleship. It's journeying with others, reminding them of the truths of their identities, reminding them of their giftedness, helping them to step forward and, and discover what it means to walk with Jesus, helping them to discover uh, how to become a follower of Jesus, how to live like Jesus did, lived, how to love like he loved, how to do what he did, how to do life together in community. Statistics show us that if we had evangelists in our church and every single day, that evangelist uh, was able to lead one person to Christ. Over the course of 16 years of an evangelistic journey, something like 5,000 people would become Christians or followers of Jesus. It's amazing. But when you consider the work of discipleship as valuable and critically important, I'm not taking away anything from evangelism and, it, and our call towards it, but when we disciple people, if we discipled one person a year, at the end of the year, there'd be two people who've gone on a discipleship journey. And the next year, if those two people took on two more people, let me pause for a moment and say, discipleship is always a multiplicative effort. We, we don't just stop after we've journeyed with one person. We continue on. This is our calling. And so after one year, there's two. After two years, there's four. After four years, there's eight. After 16 years, the number of people that we reach with, with the gospel and, with, um, and in the discipleship process is something like, well, you can do the math. It's like 65,000 people or something like that. It's unbelievable. And if you consider the impact that this would have in the kingdom of God, if you consider that this is the very thing that we're called to as believers, not just to be saved as Christians, but to be followers and to help other people to become followers themselves, imagine the impact it would have on this world. Lethbridge is what, 100,000 people? That means in 16 years, close to two-thirds of the city would become followers of Jesus. And then the next year, the 17th year, like the whole city becomes followers of Jesus, the kingdom impact, the ripple that this has, is astronomical. And, and the blessing that it would bring to lives, to live in the wholeness and fullness and blessing of Jesus. Oh, friends, you, you, you get the idea here. We have to create space for this in our lives. And there's all sorts of excuses, and I get it. 
Our family yesterday, we did more and we were busier than we've been in a long time. And we didn't do a good job at creating moments. But that doesn't mean that the call isn't fresh upon us. Jesus calls us to more. He invites us to follow him. And there's a double blessing that comes. Brent speaks now as I talk to him about those days. So we talked about it um, last spring. About not just the blessing that went to those three young men, myself included, but the blessing that came upon him as he created space and was able to walk with us and see God work in our lives. There's a blessing in another life and there's a blessing in our life that comes when we focus on Jesus together. Well, we need to land the plane and we don't have very much time left at all, but in the final verses here, 12 and 13, Jesus says these words. He says, on hearing the criticism of the, of the Pharisees, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The question that comes is a question that goes back to our title slide, if we can go there for a moment. And the question is, how do we do this work? When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. But when you don't know who you are, you won't know what to do. So if we know who we are, how do we move this forward? And how do we disciple others? You can go back to the third slide for a sec, Jennifer. And the answer is this. I think we paint pictures of Jesus. We help others discover who they are and who Jesus is. And then we help them to act like him to the world around them. We practically preach the gospel to our, to our friends and apprentices. I don't know if that's a word. I just made it up. So for right now, it's a word. We help people understand the gospel, that God didn't come just save them in a salvific moment, that God, yes, he saved them from hell and he keeps them for eternity, but then he works in their lives in very holistic ways. This is the kingdom gospel that, that, that we keep coming back and reminding and preaching and declaring the truths of scripture over each other over and over and over again. We help people know who they are in Christ. We help people know how to serve in, in Jesus' name. We help people to see this world in Jesus' name. We help people to respond to the needs of their communities and the needs of each other and the needs of their heart in Jesus' name. We bring them back to the gospel and we remind them of these truths. And this is exactly what Jesus does here. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, I've desired to, I've desired to bring mercy and not I'm not looking for sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. He brings them back to the cross, and this is a work of discipleship. We continuously and regularly remind people of who they are. We paint pictures of Jesus, and we help. Um, it's not we who set people free. Jesus does that work, but we bring them to places where they can kneel before Jesus, and they can allow Jesus to work in their life in fresh ways. We have all sorts of resources that can lead to this. We can look into the scriptures, which is always where a discipleship journey should start. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 15, who speak toward our identity as Christians, who remind us that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, that helps us understand the nature of our spiritual giftedness. And then as we study through the scriptures, there's other great resources that can work alongside. Books like the Discipleship Essentials Journey, where you could get in a, in a triad of three people or four people and journey through this book that leads itself. You don't have to be a strong leader. It leads itself and helps us understand the gospel, who Jesus is, who God is, the work of the Holy Spirit, the impact and importance of the local church, the, the, the dynamic realities of prayer. Books like Soul Care that help us deal with, with our hearts and past sin and generational issues that come up. And there's so many others. Jesus 
brings people back to the cross, or he, he points them towards the cross, and the discipleship journey is the same. We paint pictures of Jesus, and we remind each other of who we are in Jesus' name. And so the fourth and final prayer of this morning would be this. It's that we can't escape the call to discipleship. There's nobody in this room that's excused from it. And so as you're here today, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is, is planting upon your heart a desire or a fire to be involved with another person in this sort of dynamic way. And so my, my encouragement, my prayer for this week, our fourth prayer is this. Who is it that God is placing before you that you could go on a discipleship journey with? If the answer is nobody, uh, the prayer is ask God to, to put somebody in your mind. Maybe somebody from this church. Maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a colleague, maybe your kids. I don't know. But who could you go on a journey with? And who could you link arms with and look to Jesus? That tension in your heart is not meant to be something that we ignore or hope that goes away. That tension that the, is in your heart is something from the Holy Spirit. And my prayer for us this morning is, is that it would bring, in a fresh way, a blessing that maybe we've been searching for for a long time. The best seasons of my life in recent days and weeks and months and seasons uh, over these last couple of years have come when I have intentionally journeyed with another person and we've looked to Jesus. And the dynamic blessing that's come has only come as we've created intentional time. As someone has invited me or I have invited them into a, an intentional journey with, for an intentional purpose, with an, looking for an intentional result. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And we are called to be disciple makers. And it's extended to us here today. This last April, as uh, Jaden, our son, had his 10th birthday. And it was a pretty awesome, exciting day. And that day, it was his turn to receive a fly fishing rod. And my parents sent down a fly fishing rod from Calgary, and he opened it up. And his face just came alive. And so he said to me, Daddy, will you teach me how to fly fish? And I said, I'd love to. And to be honest with you, this spring I was so busy and so focused on other things, we didn't get a chance to go. And so this summer when we were on holidays, I said, Buddy, when we get back to Lethbridge, we're going to go fly fishing together. And so on August the 5th, we loaded up uh, our Honda Civic, and I drove the Honda Civic out to the mountains and took it to places Honda Civic should never go. And we began to fly fish. And when Jaden started casting his rod, he cast it so hard that the flies were falling off in the end. I couldn't tie them tight enough on the end, but we kept trying, and I showed him how to slow down and how to cast that rod. Ten and two, ten and two, buddy. Slow it down. Enjoy the experience. And then I showed him how to pick those flies. And then I showed him how to read the water. And here's some pictures of us behind. That's Jaden's first fish ever, a trout ever on the fly on the right. And that's the two of us at the end of the day on the left. And you know what? The fly fishing was unbelievable that day. I caught 12, he caught 9. Shouldn't keep score, but I beat him. <laughs> but what was better than catching fish was the time that we got to spend together. The conversations we had about life. The opportunities we had to talk about um, what it means to be a man. What it means to be a Christ follower conversations we had about cherishing uh, you know Rolna and the girls the opportunities we had to speak into one another's life and him into mine as well At the end of that day he said daddy can you please quit your job and can we go fly fishing every day 
This isn't a resignation announcement, by the way. But it was a double blessing. And this is my experience in discipleship, friends. We're not meant to journey alone. We're meant to pursue Jesus together in community. And can I encourage you in a fresh way? There's so much in front of us when we disciple and make apprentices for Jesus. I'm going to pray to release us. And as I'm praying, Andrew's going to come up here to the front. He's one of our elders, and he'll be available here. And as we go this morning, maybe it's your turn to, to step up and to step into this kind of, into this, into this living. And so if you want to come forward and maybe there's something else you want prayer for, Andrew will be up here at the front and he would love just to pray with you and encourage you. He's a great guy and, uh, and he would love just to take time. But don't leave this place with something tense in your heart. Take a few minutes where you are or come and, and pray with Andrew or, or find someone else in the room. Maybe the call for you this morning is just to look at someone else and say, can we, can we go on a journey together? Friends, there's such blessing that comes. It's a double blessing, and it's the very thing we're called to. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When you don't know who you are, you won't know what to do. Know that we are called to be disciple makers. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the call you make to us in Scripture to go and make disciples in this world. Father, as probably many of us in this room have had people in our lives, whether they're mentors or coaches or or, or trainers, or, or Bible uh, study leaders, or Sunday school teachers, or pastors. Many of us in this room have experienced the blessing of journeying together towards Jesus with someone else. And I pray, Father, that today you would place the call strongly upon our hearts to make disciples in this world. I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied to just uh, have one experience and then be done with it in our Christian walk, but I pray that this would become an ongoing reality in every single one of our lives. Father, I'm imagining the impact of disciple makers upon the southern part of Alberta right now. 65,000 people over 16 years, 130,000 people over 17 years who are journeying with others in Jesus' name and helping them to live and be followers of Jesus themselves. Father, we desire to be a people who transform this world in Jesus' name. We believe and we know that the good news of Jesus is, is ours to share. And so challenge us. Plant the names of someone else in our mind who we can journey with and encourage us to be courageous and obedient as you called Joshua to do. And remind us of this, that the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. Lift us this week and bless us this week. Carry us this week. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time we've been able to share together. In Jesus' name.